If you'll pray with me, I'll pray with you. Pray for me, I pray for you. We'll get started. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for, man, just your blessings. Um, God, I thank you for the people here. I thank you for the sunshine. Uh, Lord, I pray you'd move. And as, God, we study your word and, and how we are to interact with each other and the effect that we have on the world as, um, as your church, that, uh, man, we would be open and humble to what you have to say to your words, not to our traditions. Um, Lord, when those traditions clash with your word, your word always wins, and that we would be open to that. And, um, Father, I just pray for the hurting, the broken, the angry, um, man, those that feel trapped and anxious. I just pray that you would move and meet them and heal them in ways they can't even, uh, man, don't even expect. And help me to preach your word, Father, uh, that wouldn't get in the way. I give you all the glory. In Jesus Christ, let me pray. Amen. How you guys doing today? Woo! <laughs> Woo. I saw you, Chase. Sometimes very polite. Woo. Yeah. <clears throat> well, hey, welcome. Uh, my name's Todd. I'm the pastor here. Very excited today. Very excited lately. Genuinely, it's not fake. So I've been, um, well, I guess I should address this. Somebody asked me if I should address this. So at the end, in case you wonder if I peed myself, I did not. Right before, not this time, right before, um, I was back there preying, and one of those Todd things happened. A purse fell on the person's arm, which then spilled the coffee all over my leg. And I just went, if you know me, that's a classic Todd thing to happen. And uh, who was it that was out there? Oh, AJ's like, so do you think you address it? I'm like, yes. Yes, I, I address it. Because otherwise, you're all immediately going, did he, did he have an accident? I, <clears throat> so, yes, AJ, you must always address it. <clears throat> and then he tried to get me to use a Billy Madison quote. What a strange, strange guy. Anyway, I am really excited. I'm excited. Um, and it's not just because Luke, Luke has this saying lately, and it's taken me a while. And he comes up and he says, I rattle cages, right? That means I guess I irritate people. Uh, and I think sometimes we need to be irritated, including me. So I'm really excited about just getting into God's Word and seeing new things, man. Seeing things that shouldn't be new but are new. <clears throat> and um, yeah, that's where we're at. So last week we talked about how in the church today we kind of have these tribes, right? And these tribes tend to try to figure out who's the good tribe and who's the bad tribe. And we war all the time. That's the truth. You know it and I know it. Have you ever had those awkward conversations where someone's talking about their, you maybe say something about your church and then they have to weirdly try to one-up you about something with their church and it becomes this strange, weird thing? That's, that's the mild side of it, right? And the, the more aggressive side is, oh, that church, right? Those conversations you have, and whether it's about this church, another church, and people start making judgments about that. And we kind of go to war and we spend so much time warring with each other that there doesn't leave a lot of time for kingdom work, for actual godly things. And I think today, if you stick with me, guys, and I'm telling you, I don't say this often. I think it often, but there's a lot in here. This, um, this has kind of blown my mind, and it got me excited. But here's the thing I'm going to tell you right now. You're going to have to put aside what, and it, me too, I've been faced with the, oh uh, man, how do I put this? My preconceived notions of what it is to be a Christian and how churches function. And everyone in here goes, Todd, I already know this. I thought I did too. But then I start realizing as I'm studying and reading and praying, I notice my heart in certain areas. I notice how I, I hear something and say, oh, that's maybe about a pastor somewhere else or a mega pastor. Something happens. I go, yeah, that's how you handle it. That's how you handle those situations. But when you actually compare it to God's word, I'm going, Man, just because it makes sense in a business world or it makes sense somewhere else doesn't mean that that's the way God intended for it in his church. And here's the thing, and, I, and I'm challenging you now, because we all, every Christian in, a, in the world, would nod their heads and say, yes, 
We all would do that. And that's, we, no one thinks they're this person. I didn't think I'm this person. And I feel like I'm, I try to stand against that stuff. And I didn't catch this in my heart sometimes. Right? And what that does is it causes this war and this, this, this the way we treat each other in the church causes so much anxiety and so much hiding and so much, which in turn, guess what? When you hide your struggles or your sin, they don't get smaller, right? They don't get smaller. In the darkness of that, of the fear and the anxiety, it just grows. And so we're going to talk about that today. So if it, if it you know, frustrates you a little, that might be good because it made me realize some things. So that's where we're at. <coughs> and you need to, I'm so sorry. Uh, go listen to last week's if you didn't get a chance to. It kind of gives us an overview of where we're headed, and then today we're going to dive in a little more. Are you with me? Now, I got these young bucks here in the front today. All right? Thank you, Eli. If you don't think that I will call out your fidget spinners or whatever you're dealing with out here, I 100% will. Um, <clears throat> I'm just messing with them because they're so cool. So I, wanna, I don't know if you guys know this. Uh, but I, I recently learned, and this is how I know God's moving on all this. I learned a psychological term. Who likes psychology, right? <laughs> nice, okay. Uh, who's heard of psychology? Who's just so lazy they don't raise their hand in the air? Okay, thank you. Not surprising, Christopher. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I heard a term, and I want to share this with you. It's a, it's a psychology term. I wasn't looking for this. It just came up, and I found it pretty interesting because I think it's really prevalent in churches today, and I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to challenge you. I bet you do this. I bet you do this, if not all the time, sometimes. It's called splitting. You ever heard of the term splitting? Raise your hand if you've heard of this term and understand it. You, under, you know what it is? It's pretty imp- I'm not talking about split something in half. Psychology-wise, you heard of it? Good, okay. <clears throat> so I'm going to read you the fancy definition. I'll give you the Todd definition. They're not, they're not the same definition. All right, the fancy one, splitting. Splitting is a common defense mechanism. It involves ca- categorizing people or beliefs as either good or bad, positive or negative. By its nature, it is a black and white way of thinking. Individuals who struggle with splitting may view themselves and others in extremes, failing to integrate the complexities and nuances of life into one cohesive whole. This is pretty fancy words, right? Instead, they tend to polarize the world into opposites. Bottom line, splitting means when someone, we, instead of accepting people have good traits and bad traits and that good people do bad things and that bad people can do good things, we just say there are good and there are bad people, and that's it. And here's the thing. None of you know I don't do that. Yes, you do. You do. Because if I were to tell you I, I don't know, stole from the offering plate. Well, we don't have an offering plate. But if we did, and I told you I stole from it, automatically you're putting me in a category. You don't know my story. You don't know what I, I didn't. Uh, <clears throat> you don't know that I didn't, but your mind does that. Good Christian, bad Christian. Putting it plainly, it's the idea that people are all bad or good, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. And I know you do this. Now, here's the difference. We all have different ways we split people. So we have what we consider bad and evil, right? And we base people on that standard. So it can look different. I think a lot of Christians have come to believe this idea. And they've been taught this and apply the same idea to their fellow Christians. I'm going to say that again. I believe you and me. And the church as a whole does this all the time. We do it all the time. <clears throat> now, you're going to say that you know that we all believers have a sinful nature and we struggle with it, but your day-to-day life doesn't play that out. I'm going I'm to tell you right now, it doesn't. 
And even if you offer grace and can see some people who sin in a different way and you don't do it to everyone, does it, you do it to someone. You do. I do. <clears throat> so the thought is you can be bad. Listen to me. This is what we do. The thought is you can be bad. You can make mistakes. You can sin even. You can be a bad person one time, and that's before you're saved. But once you're saved, right, and that's why we'll welcome them all. Welcome the murderers and the thieves and the adulterers. Come in, come in, and you'll be kind to them, and I'll be kind to them, and you'll be kind to them, guy, on the people watching on the Internet. And then once they're a Christian, you give them maybe a two-week acclimation period, and then guess what? The sin has to stop. You can never mess up again. Okay? Now, I already have to stop because some of you and some of the people watching, and listen, this is who I am. That's what I'm going to do from now on. You're already going, he's minimizing sin, and that's the problem. Because your mind has been brainwashed to believe that if we say someone who sins isn't bad necessarily, if they're a Christian in Christ, we'll get to that, they're not evil any more than you're evil, then we're saying what they've done is okay. We can't separate the action from the actor. Now, you're, everyone in the room says, yes, I can. No, you can't. I know you do struggle with this, and guess what? Partially, it's always your fault, right? Meaning, it's always our fault. We have some choice in it. But at the same time, the current of culture is taking us that way. All right, and I'll give you some examples in a minute. So the thought is you can be saved, but once you do, if you sin, once you're a Christian, then if you sin, you're evil, fake, vile, unforgivable, you're a goat, you're false. All of these things, the list goes on and on. You may not say it, but that's what you believe. And any good that person has ever done was fake. Of course we won't say that. We live in this bizarre dichotomy in Christianity where we say that forgiveness and love is what we are called to offer and what we're called to do, but only as far as it's convenient for us. Only as far as it's not the bad things. See, your bad thing and my bad thing might be different. Now here's what's interesting about your bad list. Your bad list, the things you consider bad that make Christians evil and you know, fake and all that, is usually the things you don't struggle with. I'll say that again. You tend to think people are evil if it's things you don't struggle with. How could they? But your sins and your faults, hey, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And we all do that. <clears throat> it would be bad enough if we did that to just our individual Christians, meaning we do that to each other randomly, but we've taken it to another level. Now we determine if someone is allowed in the overall church, I'm sorry, the overall tribe of Christianity, whether, whether they're a Christian at all. By what we hear about Christians. So I'm going to say that in different words. It's not only if I see Jill do something wrong that I then categorize her as good or bad, right? And she's a bad, fake person. But now... Someone I don't even know from a church in town or across the country whose sin becomes plastered on the public, I then make a decision in my heart about whether or not that person is a true believer or whether everything they did was fake. Here's a perfect example, okay? Now, I, should, I don't know if I say names because I'm not caught up, but these mega pastors, things happen. Last couple of years, we've had some big, big famous pastors do some stupid stuff. What I find interesting is that immediately every single thing they've ever done was fake and false. Every single thing they've ever done was an evil false prophet taking advantage of the world. Let me ask you a question. If I followed you around 24-7, 365, what would I think about you as a Christian? No place to hide. And that's not even your thought life, just what you do. So 
That's my point. I may, not only do I now do it within my church, but I just do it to people I haven't even met, where I don't even know the situation. I don't even know them personally. So I'll give you an example, and I wish I had the clip and I forgot. Okay, raise your hand if you've heard of Logan Paul, even a lot of you people, the Paul brothers. If you haven't, that's probably best. These are social media guys, right? And they're big. They're certainly not Christians. They've gotten really big the last few years. And one of the guys has a podcast. Logan Paul has a podcast called Impulsive. Don't look it up. And in it, you've got these two buddies, right? Logan and his other buddy. And Logan's in his 20s. His other buddy's, you know, in his mid to late 30s. And then there's this other guy named George. Stay with me, okay? So recently, this guy named George is a Christian. And he's been very vocal about Jesus. On this podcast, he got torn up, kind of embarrassed. It became a big social media storm because even though they hate Christians, the one thing you can't do is make, make fun of someone or make someone feel small, right? That trumps that. It, cancel culture. We've got to find something to cancel people for. So Logan Paul and his buddy, his name's Mike, right? Logan Paul started making fun and kind of went hard at George, this Christian. So I saw this clip this week. I wasn't looking for it. This is how I know God's moving. This is real. So he, gets, he comes on. And this is crazy. If you knew this Mike guy, the guy who's in his 30s, he's a vile guy, meaning his actions. He just, the way he talks, he is, okay? I'm not saying I dislike the guy, but you would think he's vile. Let me put it that way, all right? Not by the world's standards, just by ours. The world's like, oh, everybody does it. So, not, certainly not a believer. He's not anti. All of a sudden, I see this clip, and George, Logan Paul, who's kind of hostile to Christianity, or has been, says to George, hey, I heard you've been praying with Mike every morning. And Mike goes, yeah, we've been praying every morning. And he goes, oh, help me understand this. And this Mike guy says, yeah. He goes, well, what's that look like? This little guy says, what's that look like? And George is like, well, I wasn't going to talk about this because I don't want to, every time, I, you know, I don't want to make a big deal. So before I tell you what the bad part, I'll tell you what the good. So every morning, George has been praying with this Mike guy. And he asks, he just comes and says, what's going on in his life? And they pray about it. And this Mike guy says, yeah, man, he's not a Christian. It's so cool to see the Holy Spirit move in the life of someone who has no idea what the words are. He goes, when you talk about this stuff, it's like you got this magic power. He said that. He goes, something's happening, man, and I just want to tell you, like, you could do some good in the world. What's he describing? The Holy Spirit. He just don't know what it is. But that's not the point of the story. So George, who's doing this, okay, who's making an impact in a world that you and I are never going to reach, the rich and the famous, okay? He says, in the middle, he stops and says, honestly, man, I was going to talk about this. He goes, because I get a lot of hate, George, from Christians who look at me, and you could tell he was being so humble about it. He wasn't being even angry. He goes, they, they, they come at me, and they say, you did this, because he cusses sometimes still. He's new in his faith, or he does this, or he talks about that. You're, you're not a Christian, he says, honestly. And it was so heartbreaking. He goes, I don't really want to, they make me not want to talk about Jesus anymore publicly. Let that sink in. Because he what? Because he, in his journey, right, this dude is doing more to make an impact for someone very lost than most of us are. But because he says bad words, because he's still on his journeys early in his place, we, a bunch of Christians are attacking him, Christians, to the point where he doesn't want to talk about Jesus anymore, even though he's making such an impact that this guy who's considered vile is being moved by the Spirit. Let that sink in. The enemy, I'm going to say, the devil himself is using these Christians to discourage this man's ministry. And everybody go, I wouldn't do that. You wouldn't? You don't do that? You hear about that pastor across town, and you immediately go, what a bad guy. 
Now, in the sake of transparency, because you people on the camera, I'm coming for you. All right, I've sinned, okay? I had big sins. Ten years ago, I had a big public sin. No, I didn't do anything illegal. But So if you want to sit here and say, Todd's trying to defend himself, blah, blah, blah. Stupid. I don't need you. I don't need you to tell me I'm good with God. I don't need you to tell me I'm qualified. I don't need any of that. I'm telling you the truth. Did I learn a lot? See, I thought I understood grace until I was in a place I really needed it. And make no mistake, friends, whether small or large, your life, if you're a believer, you will come to a place where you need grace. And my prayer is that you forgive and offer grace the way you want to be forgiven and offered grace. But think about that. So I just want to say that in case anyone goes, I want to teach. No, it's important. Because it's all part of the culture. Because we see how we treat leaders, and if we go, well, that guy's better than me, right? Some of you tend to think that about me. Certainly, if you stick around long enough, you'll find that's not true. But if you see that someone, say, treats me bad, your pastor, you're going to all of a sudden go, well, I can't say anything because they attacked that guy. What are they going to do to me, right? So we got to talk about it. Anyway, this man, this George, is taking light into dark and hard places. The rich, the famous, you and I are not going to meet them. Odds of that happening, plus I'd want to fight Logan anyway, right? I'm just being honest with you. I'd want to fight him. I challenge you to boxing match. I know it's big. <laughs> uh, with the rich and famous, and he's wanted to stop talking. This man, George, is wanting to stop talking about Jesus, not because of the world, even though that's his primary audience, but because of Christians. Let that sink in. If this isn't moving you, if you fall asleep today, if you're not paying attention something, you, you need to just... I don't know, go jump in a cold water or something. You're not, this, this is a big deal. It affects you. <clears throat> he has to be bad, this George guy. He's not one of us because he cusses. He doesn't have his theology perfect. He spends time with sinners or whatever other reasons people use to declare he isn't one of us. He can't be a Christian. God's more angry at his cussing than he is at my unforgiving heart. The more I look around at the state of our Christian cultures and churches and then compare it to God's word, the Bible, the more I'm convinced that many of us have this all wrong. Listen to me. We have this wrong. And I'm not the only person in the country that's saying these things, but I'll tell you what, we don't talk about it enough. What I'm saying to you, if you really hear it, is going to mess with you. Because it has to attack your preconceived notions. Some of you who grew up in the church, you know, Kind of two generations. Listen, sin is serious. Sin is serious. God's concerned about sin in the life of a Christian for two reasons. One is he has said, I've made you holy, so you need to act holy as I am holy. But the second reason is just as important because of what it does to us. Because it hurts us. How can God be angry anymore at you or me as a believer if all the wrath was poured out on the cross? You understand what I'm saying? I'm already losing something. What's he saying about sin? I'm saying it has no power over me. Bottom line. But we act like it does. We want to put chains on people that Christ has already removed them from. We'll get to that. Sin is serious. There you go, random guy on YouTube. Listen, I'm more convinced that many of us have this wrong. We're trying to make this whole thing easier. That's what we're trying to do. And that's why that splitting term made sense. It says, when we can't understand how someone can do this or that and be two different people, what we do is we say, well, I can't handle that. I can't handle that. So I'm just going to, it's way easier to think this person was never good than that they were good and did something really bad. You understand what I'm saying? <clears throat> None of you, some of you aren't. That's okay. We'll get to it. We're trying to define who we have to love and who we don't and who we have to forgive and who we don't. 
because that makes it easier. You want a list. It's not in there. The more I look around at the state of our Christian cultures and churches, I'm telling you, and compare it, guys, we got it wrong. We get, we're trying to decide who gets to be in the tribe and who doesn't. And here's the crazy thing. We talked last week, the tribe being overall Christianity, but within Christianity, I've talked about last week, we had these little tribes we've made up. Sometimes they're called denominations, sometimes they're not. And in these tribes, even the tribes, the churches and the denominations that try to say the other one isn't real. Remember, you say, I say the gifts are active and you can speak in tongues. I say if you do that, you're the devil. Blah, 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 right? They're all attacking each other. They will come together and join forces long enough to condemn someone in their sin. Hey, can we stop fighting for a second? We, we got some condemnation to do. I, ha- I have had people in this community. I don't care if that's what I want to change. I might as well talk about it. There are pastors in this community. I know for a fact. I got to know a lot of different ones, right, Andy? We got to know a lot of different ones. Their theology doesn't match at all. But, boy, they'll come together to do some condemning. And then, right, that's what they'll do. The one thing that brings churches together on opposite ends of the spectrum the quickest and easiest is condemnation of other Christians. Because then we get to be the stoners, not the ones stoned. It's okay though, right? Because as long as we paint it, church discipline, it's okay to drive someone out of church. It's to condemn them, to cast out a believer who has sinned and repented. No, he has to pay first. We have to make sure he really means it before we can let him back into community. And the only way to make sure he really means it is to kick him out and make him wait six months or make him do this or that or jump through this hoop. Because there's no way that the Holy Spirit can convict someone to repentance and transform them. That's not possible. He raised someone from the dead, but nothing else. <clears throat> we have to make sure they really mean it. The truth is, most of the time, we just hope, and don't you say you don't think this. Okay? Most of the time, these churches, we, we just hope he or she, the sinner, just leaves. That way we don't have the stain on our church or the reputation that we spend time with sinners or associate with sinners. After all, they're bad people because only bad people sin. When it's time to go wolf hunting, then we're all together until there's no one else to point to or hunt, then it's back to the war. We got a truce just long enough to to, to kill this sheep, right? It's funny, sheep goes astray. We're going to talk about that. Jesus tells us to do one thing. We go out and hunt it to shoot it before it can come back. We don't want it to bring anything back to the herd, right? Whatever you call it. Is it sheep, herd, sheep herd? I don't even know. What do you call it? a bunch of sheep? Uh, blah, blah, Flock. Thank you. <laughs> me good at speaking. Yeah, flock. Here's the question I keep asking myself. Listen to me, please. Please. You owe, your, you owe this to yourself. Even if you disagree, you got to think about it. Is this the way of Jesus? You're going to say no. Is this the way of Jesus? Is this what he told us to do? Is this is how he told us to act towards each other? Is it? Is this how we're supposed to view forgiveness, grace, restoration, love? Is that how it's supposed to look? Here's one. I'll make it more personal. How many of you out there have already made a split-second decision about me because I didn't respond to you fast enough, talk to you enough, um, I, you heard I did this or that? You've never spoken to me, but I must be not that good of a guy because X, Y, and Z person told me so. because you can't believe that it's possible that God can use someone who's a screw-up sometimes, right? But you are, aren't you? (laughs) Hey, I love it. Somebody's listening. I'm serious. Is this what he wanted and wants from us? 
is it possible that what we all accept as Christian, let this sink in, and it's okay and good in our response to believers who fail, fall, sin, in our churches is not only not the way of Jesus, but in some cases actively opposes the way of Jesus. I can't make that decision for you. I can't determine for you whether you want to believe this. But what I can do is show you what I'm looking at and what I've seen. And today I want to give us a look at what God himself says about love, about sin, about forgiveness, about sin within his church. And even, because even if I can get you to agree that we shouldn't do that to other believers, it's a whole different level when it's a church leader, a church pastor. What does God say about the bad people? So if we're going to have this discussion, guys, I got a lot of scripture. And I even told the worship team and some people, I was like, we got we to gotta stay on it today because we're about to go deep. And listen, I promise you, we're driving down the road. I'm going to be taking a lot of detours and turns. If you don't keep up, you're going to get lost. It's very important. David, you want it deep, we're going deep. Make sure your friends are listening nearby. That Josh guy, something about him. Anyway, we got to talk about, if we're going to have this discussion to see what God says about how to handle each other, how to treat Christians and even Christian leaders when they sin, right? Because that's part of this tribe issue. In order to do that, we have to start looking at what our baseline should be towards each other. That means base-level Christianity, how should you treat the person beside you? We have to start looking at what our baseline is, meaning we have to know the overall expectation that God has for us and how we treat each other, period. And it's funny, man, the people, the people. I just, this is something, I get back to who I am. That's just offensive. You know, if, you're, if you aren't listening, again, I'm going to say it again. I don't do so. If you're not, I'm telling you. You're going to remember this and go, I wish I'd have listened in the days to come when you need forgiveness and grace and you see what they do to you. Because if we don't change this, it will come for you. It may not be the same level as it came for me, but it will come for you. It might be the sideways look. It might be the, mm, it might be the ignoring you, right? But it will come for you. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 7. You might as well keep the whole chapter up because we're going to hop around. So just pull up 1 John chapter 4. Now I'm reading from the CSB. Um, when you got to say, I got it. Okay, it'll be on the screen for those that don't. It says, this is the apostle, or this is John, we assume. Some people say it's anonymous, but the way it matches with the gospel of John, it's most likely John whom it's named after. Dear friends, he's writing the churches, let us love one another. Because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Pause. I already know you guys go, I know this one, Todd. I've listened to it three since Sunday school, and I know all about love. I bet you don't, because if you listen to the wording, it got me. I read it about five times, right? Mandy heard me the other day in my study and being all go, ooh, giggly and laughy, like a little schoolgirl, because it was so exciting, right? <laughs> Just erase that part. <clears throat> So let's say, dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. It's important to define this word love. We'll come back to it. There's one word. You can look it up, you Greek friends, right? Agape. Okay, we'll define that later. That's what this is. <clears throat> That's why God, you say, well, the world loves people, not, not agape, not God-like love. Who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love, <laughs> this isn't a suggestion. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. 
Hmm, not the one who got drunk, not the one who fell into sin, not the one who is an addict, not the one who did this. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Very simple. If you don't love agape, then you don't have agape in you, right? That's the bottom line. Am I with you? Am I losing you? Let me throw a podium, Sydney. <clears throat> Thank you. I, I told people last week, this is exciting. I can't tell if you're thinking or falling asleep. So that's why I like Juju. Good. Okay. One guy says thinking. Thank you. <clears throat> I guess I just preached to me again. That's fine because it's exciting. Uh, the one who does not love does not go out because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Here we go. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He made up for our sins. He paid a price for something he didn't do. That's love. <laughs> he paid a price for something he himself did not do. Okay? Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. That's powerful. That little weird sentence that's in the middle, no one's seen God. What is he saying? If you want to see God, it's seen in those who love this way. Right? <clears throat> if we love one another, listen, this is important because I already know you. I'm going to shake you up. This isn't, t tell me if I, this, I'm stuttering here. If we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is made complete in us. There's a, there's a condition there. If we love one another, God remains in us, his love is made complete. Not if I judge and get all the sinners out of my church. If I shoot these wolves. <clears throat> this is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. So I want to stop real quick and talk about this. Let's think about it. It says... If God loved us in this way, we mu also must, he says, not just should, must love one another. What is the way that God loved us? This is important because if he says, hey, you have to love this way, we should probably know what that way is, right? Well, let's look at it. What does it say here? He says, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's the kind of love. What kind of love? Sacrificial love. It will cost you to love like Jesus. There is zero way, my friends, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warn you now if you're a new Christian, understand this. Zero ways for, to, for you to love like Jesus, okay, and not have to sacrifice something. It will cost you. It will cost you discomfort, anxiety. It will cost you sometimes more tangible things, reputation. <clears throat> God sacrificed for his love. That's what it tells us here. It cost him to love us. It had a cost. He did it in the midst of our sin. This is important. Put this together. He, he loved us while we were sinning. Do you understand? If you were a Christian in this room, there was a period before you, when you were not saved. And he came to you while you were a sinner. And loved you enough to offer you a chance. Right? Our sin did not cause him to leave us and to not give us a chance for forgiveness, for restoration, or for love. I'll say it again. Right, listen to this. Our sin did not cause him, God, Jesus, to leave us, to not give us a chance for forgiveness, for restoration, for love. I'm not sure that would be the case if he treated us like we treat each other. If you're not, some of you aren't feeling convicted, you're not listening. I'm telling you, because I know some of you. This is serious. I want to tell you this right now, and me too. When we read 
Jesus accusing and talking to the Pharisees, the religious people. Guess what? You're not standing with him condemning them. He's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. We don't ever stand with Jesus in judgment, ever. Well, Todd, the Bible says we judge one another. <clears throat> we'll get to that. If we love one another, and this, this is something to keep in mind, we're building a case here. God remains in us. Let that sink in. So what would be the implication if we as Christians don't love one another this way? If we don't love in a sacrificial agape way, what does it mean? You can talk now. God's not with us. Am I wrong? Did, you see, did we read the same thing? Do you think that that's a pretty analogy? Because that's what we think. I know you, I gloss over it too. It's like, well, clearly it doesn't mean, you know, because I know that my, my salvation is based on Jesus. That's his point. Real transformation, real Christian, agape is the defining characteristic of a Christian. It is. You can be, because let me tell you something, the Pharisees were good people. We all sit here and go, They're you would love the Pharisees. Every one of you would love them. And God said, man, I don't, I don't even know you. Let that sink in, okay? I want you, you, you decide yourself. If we love one another, God remains in us. There's an implication there. Stay with me. Jump down to verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him, and he in God. And we have to come, and we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. All right? Are you with me still? Are we going too fast, too deep? You with me? Give me a nod. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Thanks, Sid. <clears throat> The initial qualification for God, for God to what? Remain in him, meaning us and us in him, right? To be one of his is very simple. It's right here. It doesn't change. This is where you get confused. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? Yes or no? Does it say whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God remains him and he and God? <clears throat> does it say, does it have a whoever? Does it say whoever um, sins, though, is not with God. Is the qualification sinlessness on them? He's being a dangerous trail here. Put it away. I'll talk, hey, y'all religious folk that love, you know, talking about sin and, and, and hunting wolves and stuff, I'll get to it. We can talk about it in a little bit. Just stay with me, okay? I'll give you all the anger you want. God remains in me, and we have, maybe it's these guys, because you're all lovely. You, camera, I see you. And we have come to know, right, that whoever messes up sins. What sins make him or her or us no longer worthy of being with God? Remember what it says remaining in. Which sins does it list here? None. One brave person. Good job, Alex. None. Zero. Am I wrong? So you're already, I, can't, I love, so, oh, I, just, I'm the, the, I, wanted, I wanted to be an attorney before I was a, a, a pastor. Did I ever tell you that? So sometimes I'm, I'm debating with you even though you're not arguing with me. You ever notice that? Like, you're probably all, maybe some of you are in agreement. It's like, man, he's, he's coming at me. It's because I envision in a courtroom, I'm like, objection, right? You haven't, you haven't even said anything. <clears throat> exactly, and that's what I'm saying. Let that sink in. That is a powerful statement that we could, I glossed over. Maybe you didn't. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains him and he in God. There's no mention of that. We've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Okay, drop down, um, let's, we're going to continue on, verse 16, all right, is that what I got here? I'm, I'm, I'm lost, yeah, well, 17, yeah, there we go, the rest of it, rest of 16, there we go, 
What's the one before that? Go back. I don't think I read it all. Go back to 16. There we go. Uh, God is love. I got to catch up here. I got too fired up. The God has for us. That God. Okay, God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God. Okay, so right after saying that whoever confesses that Jesus is Lord, right, is with God, he makes this other statement. The apostle, John, says this statement where he says, okay, and the one who remains in love remains in God. He connects them. That's weird, isn't it? But I thought you just said, I thought you just said that whoever confesses Jesus is Lord it remains in him. One, you can't have one without the other. I'm going to say that again. Someone who has truly put their faith in Jesus and confesses that he's Lord is going to live like Jesus lived, is going to do what Jesus did, is going to love like Jesus did. You can't have someone who says Jesus is Lord but is rebellious in the area of forgiveness and love. That's no different than if someone said, it's okay for me to run around and sleep with 55 people all the time because, right, whatever reason you make up, it's no different. Go on to 17. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. That's so beautiful. We're going to connect that. Let that sink in. In this, love is made complete with us. Why? Love is made complete. Um, We're able to understand the depth of love so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. When he comes back, we have confidence not in other people's opinion of us, not in whether or not we sinned, not in whether or not these specific things that haunt you. In two things he has said here, is Jesus Lord and do you love like him? Because if Jesus is Lord, you're going to love like him. Is that not bringing you confidence? If the only thing that matters when you stand before him, if you put his faith, your faith in him, is whether or not he knows you and you know him. And do you love like him? I thought I was good at it. So I'm like, some of you are very good at it. You are. And you're probably like, well, I do that. Because you know what, it, you're like me. You've messed up, so you know what grace is. Let me tell you an area that I got convicted with. I'll confess this from the pulpit. I hate Pharisees. I hate them. It's sinful. I said, I hate them. And if I'm not careful, I want to be the avenger. I want to be Saul the avenger to the Pharisees. I want to destroy them. You can hear it in my voice. But that's no different than what I'm accusing them of. For me to say that, that a believer who struggles in that area should be cast out and hated and killed, right? Killed, not really. <laughs> it's no different. So you might be like me, right? We're not judging the people, but we're judging the people who judge the people. That hit me, because I'm going to be honest, in my heart, I'm still angry, right? There is no fear in love. Let's move on. This is important. So remember, this whole thing is about God's love, but there's clearly a connection between how we love. So remember that. There is no fear in love. Who has love in them? Should have love in them. There you go. So this, this speaks to you. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. Ooh. No one, let that sink in. When you mess up, when you're at church and you, and you don't share with someone something you want to, I already know you do this. Man, I want to talk to someone about this, but if I, but if I do, they'll think this. That's fear. Where'd that come from? Where'd you, yeah, absolutely. And it's infected our church and it affects, right? There is fear. So in that moment, we've created a culture, not of love, not of perfect love anyway, because it's a culture of fear and fear right? That kind of culture, and and right here he tells us, because it involves punishment, which is exactly what we do to each other. So the one who fears is not complete in love. Boy, that also hits you on the other side. We can't be so fearful, right? 
We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, this is important, verse 20, I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. Well, I don't hate anyone. Well, here's the thing. God likes to do this. See, God is someone who can make good and bad. He, he can define good and bad, pure and not pure, evil and holy. He gets to do that because he's the only perfect one. So he defines that. So he isn't giving a gray area here with love. If you don't love agape, you might as well be hating them. I'm going to say it again. If you don't love agape, you might as well be hating them. What is agape? We're going to talk about it. But if you don't love like he does, if you're like, well, I don't, I don't hate people, to him, that's, that's what love is. He defines it. There is no other kind of love. He defines love. He created it. This is what love is. If we don't love like that, then we might as well be hating each other. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, <laughs> cannot love God whom he has not seen. Woo. Yeah, ding, ding. I don't know who's phone that. That was a perfect timing. If anyone says, man, if I said this to you in a normal sentence out there in the foyer afterwards, I shook your hand and I just looked at you, right? I just looked at Fred and I said, hey, Fred, if you say I love God and hate your brother or sister, you're a liar. He's going to probably try to punch me in the face, right? That's what we do. This is a bold statement. And yet we go, well, that's cute. He's talking to all them bad people. He's talking to us. If anyone says I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. Liar about what? About loving God. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has seen. How can you love me? Well, that takes faith. But you can't even love someone you can touch, see in pain, see that's hurting. Again, if you say, Todd, you don't think sin's serious, we're going to talk about that. But we're going to talk about how God says to handle sin in the church, not us. Okay? And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother or sister. Once again, two things connected. You cannot have one without the other. Do you hear me? If you say in this room, I love God, I hear it all the time. Some of you, ah, see, there's that Pharisee thing. Some of these pastors out here, I love God with your suits and your ties. Nothing wrong with that. looks nice. But... You sit up there, right, on your ivory thrones, and you say you love God while spilling hate. Man, God, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not heal in your name? And Jesus will look at them and say, I never knew you. You can preach the best sermon in the world, but if you don't have love, it's noise. It's, a, it's by the grace of God that he used. I'm going to tell you something right now. This will blow your mind. There are pastors out there and leaders who are defined by this, who lead people to Jesus when they don't know him. The Bible says that happens too, right? It's not about the messenger. So let's talk about it. There is no fear in love because fear involves punishment. I already told you. So what does it say about when someone is concerned with the punishment of a person who falls or sins or makes a big mistake? What does that say? And before you say, I don't do that. Yes, you do. You hear a pastor's sins. Pastor, i got to come up with fake names all the time because... You know, I'll say Pastor Todd. That way it's safe. Because remember the time I say someone's name, there's someone in the crowd named that? Pastor Todd at Billy Bob's Church of God, okay? I always have to use Billy Bob. I don't know why. It's just the thing I do. So Pastor Todd at Billy Bob's Church of God, you heard yesterday that he was drunk or in public six months ago. And yet, you looked on the, the you went to church and he's preaching now. Okay? <clears throat> what do you think? 
I'll tell you what you think. I saw pastors. So one of y'all sent this to me. I, you try to get me stirred up. People send me screenshots. They try to get me fired up. They're trying to get me to go to war here. I want to, but I'm not going to. And they sent me a thing from a pastor about two months ago. And it's ironic. You want my honest opinion? Yeah or nay? Let me to tell you the truth? I'm already doing it. I think for a fact, because I went and looked at the, the lie from this week. Andy, it was our live. Hear me out on this. It's just ironic. So I was like, well, this is interesting. I know this person. And they, they shared it. At first, I'm like, hey, man, maybe they're not. And then I went and watched our, our Real Talk Live where we talked about cults. In fact, I said, go ahead and show this to whoever you want. I was in one of my fired up moments saying that you shouldn't be running around saying that because it's serious. Well, this pastor, week, about less than a week later, writes this big post about church shouldn't be cults, blah, 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 like cowardly trying to respond. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Trying to respond but not respond. And the statement he made that I think sticks out, though, he goes, you know, what they do is they sweep sin under the rug in their leaders. They sweep it under the rug. How does he know? How does he know they sweep it under the rug? Right? Pastor Todd of Billy Bob's Church of God, how do you know they swept it under the rug? You ready? I'm trying to get you to think because you have a predetermined amount of time someone has to be punished or go through a penance before God can use them again. You and I both know it. And I'm not saying... That that doesn't happen, that people don't sweep things under the rug and nothing happens. But who are we to say we're not in that church? You understand what I'm saying? We have a hard enough time handling our own church. <clears throat> there is, so we make this, so when I say this culture, this, this, you know, what happens when someone's concerned with the, and this is, should hit some of you. When you're more concerned about the punishment, let's, it's easy if I, if I don't say, if I just say a person, you go, that's wrong. If I say a pastor, all of a sudden you're fired up. So I'll use him for now, Pastor Todd at Billy Bob's Church of God. If you're more concerned that he gets punished and pays his penance than you are in his restoration, you do not have the heart of God. Fact. Fact. Write that in your status. <clears throat> there is no fear in love, which means they aren't loving someone when we create this kind of culture. We're not creating a culture of love because it has to do with punishment. Which means what? Well, they do not know God. It says it up there, right? Am I crazy? Right? You know it? If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. One who loves God must love his brother and sister. Well, love doesn't involve fear. Because fear involves punishment. You see the trail we're creating here? So what happens when we as a church body, and we're all part of the same body, I'm going to assume this guy, right, even if he wasn't talking because it's been split. So let's say he's not talking about some other, he's not responding to me and my beliefs or he's talking about someone else. He's a believer, okay? What does that say about all of us that we've allowed the church culture in America to become more concerned with punishment, holiness, than it is with forgiveness and restoration? What does it say? Well, I'll tell you what it says. It says we have not created a culture of love, which should terrify us. This love thing's pretty important to our relationship with God. It's a huge indicator of where we are in our faith, right? If you don't have agape, if you don't love like God, then he's not in you. All those things, you're a liar. So we should probably define what it is because people can say love being a lot of different things, especially in our world today, right? Love, man. I don't know why. <laughs> That's what they, they talk like. Right? We should define it. And listen, when we say love, we mean it. When I say I love my mom, right, and I say I love Luke, it probably means something different. Right? 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 If you say you love your wife, say I love my wife, and I say I love Luke, it should be different. Right? <laughs> uh, 
So we need to know what God's definition is. What is God's definition of love? Remember, the Bible is not a series of tiny little books slightly connected. It's one story that God has woven throughout history to show who he is and who we are and who we are in him, right, and his plan. So you already know where I'm going, the big marriage chapter that apparently people don't listen to. It sounds pretty, but the application is a lot harder. First Corinthians chapter 13, start at verse 4. We're going through 4 through 8. Listen to this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable. Listen to this one. And does not keep a record of wrongs. This, in the original language, so don't let anyone mess with you. I don't know why they do this. That, that, that version of love is agape. The same ver- word that's in John. Okay, when it's translated. Love does not, it does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness. Do you find joy when somebody gets what's coming to them? Do you find joy when that, when that pastor falls, that guy who was rich and fancy on TV, and you're like, yeah, it's so great. Because you're really not mad at him for what he did. You're mad at him that he has nicer clothes and a car than you do. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Now, we define truth to mean what? Typically, it's like holiness. That's true. But holiness and love and God are all wrapped together. They're not separate. It bears, oh, man, this is so good in, in relation to what we say. Well, think of sin in the church. People mess up. You, the person next to you messes up. Listen to this. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Well, I got that Holy Spirit goosebumps, Josh, right there. I, it bears the weight of my brother or sister, not just when they're clean, not just when they're walking well. Right? I envision they can't walk at all, and I will hold them up. How long? doesn't matter. I will endure it. I will hope for their good. I will hope that they come home. I will endure it all. I will endure mockery from a community to bear with my brother or sister. When a Christian fails publicly, I want you to consider, and some of you may know people who if this has happened to or maybe happened to you, how many people, how many of their friends are around them then? I tell this story all the time. <clears throat> In my sin, if you want to know more about it, I have a sermon that's on the website called Broken Cart. They'll tell you my story. I'm not going to tell it again. Go watch it, listen to it. I get, I get pretty vulnerable, but this is important. And I'm not feeling sorry for myself. Sin is sin, okay? But I can also call out reality. I'm going to say Andy again because he was part of my life, right? Andy was in this. A lot of people that were around back then, but they were directly in my ministry. I had a lot of friends, didn't I? I was a popular dude in this town, man. At one point, Andy, tell me if I'm wrong or something, people wanted me at their church, offering me youth positions, begging me to come, telling me I need to come to their church. That's not me and Coggy. That's a fact, right? All of a sudden, I mess up. I look around, and all the rats jumped off the ship. I was going down. I can count on one hand how many people checked on me, how many people called me. That's a fact. I spoke to 500 people before. That's, a, that's not a joke. You know, 23, whatever years old, 20, whatever year that was, I spoke to 500 people. People coming up to me, shaking my hand. Great job, man. Oh, that's incredible. Where were they? How many of them checked on me? How many of them cared that I wanted to die? Nobody. Two, three. That's not a high percentage. 
And it doesn't mean they were all evil, but they certainly weren't willing to endure all things or bear all things. And I'm not above it. You've done it too, right? Anyway, love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. Boy, this is next one's for someone. I don't even care. As for tongues, they will cease. Even back then, they had an obsession with tongues. Good Lord. Go read the Bible. If you're obsessed with tongues, okay, and I'm not offending you. I believe the gifts are active. You speak in tongues, I'm not going to argue with you. But let me tell you something. You shouldn't be spending all your time wishing you could speak in another language. Right? If anything, you know what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14? He goes, listen, man. It'd be, it'd be cool if everybody talked in tongues, but if anything, everybody should want a prophecy. Why don't we walk around going, hey, we're all, let's all prophecy. We like those signs, remember? And I always think of the Pharisees saying, give us a sign. And Jesus said, you ain't getting a sign except the sign right of the tomb. Powerful stuff. Anyway, that's another sermon. So let's look at this. All of these beautiful, these, these miracles, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, will come to an end. What does he mean by that? It's a, it's a powerful chapter. The bottom line is what, what God is saying through Paul is, all those things won't be needed anymore. We won't need to prophesy. We won't need to perform miracles when God's with us, right? That all ends. But you know what will always stand for the rest of eternity? Agape love. Faith, love, and hope will exist for eternity. So what is agape? Remember, we defined it. Now we're talking about the love that it says we must have if we're going to remain in him. Well, is it kind? Are you, is, is the church patient? Capital C. Is the church kind? Does the church not envy? You already know that one. Is the church not boastful? Is the church not arrogant? Maybe that's not that. Is the church not rude? Uh, Is it not self-seeking? Is it not irritable? I ain't even going to say it. You already know church. We all a bunch of irritable folks sometimes. Right? Does the church not keep a record of wrongs? Love finds no joy in unrighteousness. Does the church find no joy in unrighteousness? Todd, of course it doesn't. It's holy. Well, I would consider that it's unrighteous not to love like Jesus. Does the church enjoy watching someone fall as much as it enjoys someone being restored? Well, I'll tell you what. I don't see a lot of videos of celebrating a, a pastor or a Christian's restoration. But I, I can type in 5,000 videos about a, someone falling. It's kind, it's patient, it keeps no record of wrongs. Remember, I'm building a case here. You're like, Todd, where are we going? Where are we going? We're on a journey, man. We're driving 100 miles an hour down a curvy road, taking a detour at any time, Jacob. You better pay attention, buddy. Hold on tight. Buckle your seatbelt. All right? <laughs> I try to get a rise out of him all the time. I got a smile. That's close enough. Listen, this is important. There's no small print here in 1 Corinthians 13. God means what he says through the Apostle Paul. He means it. We don't def- let that sink in. Are our churches characterized by the type of love that keeps no record of wrongs? Can we say the American church is characterized by the fact that it keeps no record of wrongs? You decide yourself, right? That's not to say, I got you, I told you all, I told you sin hunters, I love it. I'm, I'm, believe it or not, we'll get to this in a minute. I'm all about being holy, okay? I get it. You should be. God says, be holy as I am holy, right? We get all that. That's not to say that God wants rampant, unrepentant, sinful behavior to be in his church. He doesn't, okay? But the key word is unrepentant. He already knows there's sin in this church. If he didn't, he wouldn't have had to die for us. You understand? If these churches, right, if we, if we were perfect, we wouldn't even need the Bible. We're saved, it's over. 
This process can take a while. So he doesn't want unrepentant, sinful behavior being in his church in his body. So Jesus, in his love and his foresight, tells us exactly how to handle it when one of our brothers or sisters sins. So before we talk about this section, <clears throat> I want to give you some context. Uh-oh, this is why I can't have a cord. <clears throat> Jesus does some interesting things here. So he calls some kids to him, okay, and he says, oh, the kingdom's for these people. And then he, he tells... Uh, right after that, he says this, okay? And I'll come back to it. It's an interesting section. Matthew chapter 18, we're going to start at verse 10. You might as well keep the whole chapter up. When you got to say, I got it. It's a trick. It's on the screen. But yeah, take your time. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay, here we go. This is Jesus. So if y'all weren't listening before, you better listen, listen, little I can't talk. At least listen now, all right? See to it that you don't despise one of these little ones, because I tell you that in heaven their angels continually view the face of my Father in heaven. Before this, he also says, anyone that causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better to have a stone around their neck and thrown into the ocean. Stay with me. You're going to like this, Jacob. I think you're going to like this. Because I tell you that in heaven their angels continually view the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If someone has a hundred sheep, and one of them goes astray, won't he leave the 99 on the hillside and go and search for the stray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over that sheep more than over the 99 that did not go astray. In the same way, it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones perish. That's a powerful moment. See, when this clicked with me, you know, Jesus talks in ways to make us think. He certainly loves children. There's part of that, right? We see it in other places. But who are the little ones? It's us. It is. We're the little ones, right? Because how do we know? Well, he, in the end, he, he puts it like a bookend, right? The beginning and end, we have this parable in the middle where he's redefining it. It started with children. Now he's going, these little ones, us, right? So put this in context. If you have $500 in $500 bills, Jericho, I know you're all about this, buddy. You got $500 cash. You'd like that, wouldn't you? He's giggling because he knows he would, right? So you got $500. You walk out in the foyer. You come back in. You only have four. Are you just going to stay here? You're like, it's okay. I, just, I still got four more. He's eating. See, weird thing. This dude will talk your ear off. Right now, he don't want to. <clears throat> I know him. He knows him. He's already gone. He doesn't come back to service. He's tearing this place apart for this $100 bill. Me too. I get it. <clears throat> That's the same thing. So maybe we don't value sheep, but think of money, car, whatever it is for you. Your kids. Hey, you go to the mall, you lose one, you're like, you know what, I still got two more. No, you don't do that. That's not how it works, right? You go look for them. So listen, we are the little ones, which means this. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are also the little ones. Stay with me, right? The little ones, his children. How he would go so far as to leave the 99 what? His other 99 children that are safe. They're safe in the home, right? They're safe in church. They're doing to go find the strange sheep. He will say, you guys are okay. I'm, I'll be back. I got to go find your brother or your sister. Do we do that? Do you do that? Do I? Do you do that? Now, you might say, well, I mean, I'm not against them. I didn't say that. Do you go find them? Or do you say, well, if they come back, I'll talk to them. How do churches typically handle situations with people sinning slash going astray? How do they normally do it? 
They don't go find them. They remove them. If you don't pay attention, I'll throw this son of a gun right now. You better wake up because I'll go 40 more minutes because I'm excited. If you're not excited, you're not listening. Right? Gosh, I wish I knew Chris is saying about water and wood. He watches this. Chris, you got to type this in the comments, buddy. I embarrass myself every week. Your wood's wet or something. I don't know. <clears throat> One of these days when I get the saying, it's going to all make sense. All right? I just butcher it every time. He used to say it all the time. If your fire's not going, your wood's wet. I, anyone know this saying? How close? Yeah, okay. I used to think it was corny too, but now I think about it all the time. Every time he'd say it, i go, Chris. But now I'm saying it, so you were right. If your brothers, okay, so Jesus tells exactly what to do. Now, this is an interesting section because I love, man, I got to quit. I got to go. I got to move. So I told this worship team, we got to be on it today because I'm preaching. Listen, starting in verse 15. Same section, by the way, 1815. So he says we don't go astray, but he also says, but listen, we're not going to let someone run unrepentant and random in the flock hurting people. We're not going to let that happen. I can't let that, that kind of behavior live in my trust. Here's what he says. If your brother sins against you, sisters, that means you too, right? It sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. Okay. You know, I'm, already, I'm about to get you right here, right now. I mean, you want to know how I know we don't follow this? Because it's found in the difference in your own mind between someone who is caught in sin and someone who confesses it first. Right? I was, right, we were told that. If someone confesses it first, because that's what we do in the court of law, by the way, in the world, that's how it gets in here in the church. If someone confesses their sin, that's better than if they're caught in their sin, right? Everyone of you, sit, raise your hand if you believe that. You fibbers. Yeah, you do. That's fine. Yeah, you, most of the time, and I'm not saying that's wrong from a human perspective, okay? But that doesn't say that. What I think is so fascinating about this, he said, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault. If you catch him, if he does it, go tell him by himself. Not up on the pulpit and go, hey, Todd sinned. That's not where we start, okay? If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. Man, how much does God love us that he's a, he wants to save us humiliation as much as he can, right? Even in our sin. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. What does that mean? It's over. Well, what do you mean? I mean, I saw him drunk. I got to go tell the pastor. Did he repent? Did she repent? Well, they said they're sorry and they repent, but they didn't mean it. How do you know? Because, well, well, well they, they just said it. Yeah, they said it. So it's over. I know. <laughs> Where, where's the path of penance, though? Where's the restoration plan? Let me keep moving. <clears throat> if he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. This, is, this isn't a suggestion. It's Pastor, Pastor Todd yeah, punches Greg. Greg's going to say, don't punch me, right? Get you drunk, whatever. I, just, I always use adultery, so I'm trying to figure out other things you think are bad. Snorts Coke, whatever. You come and tell me. I say, I'm going to keep snorting Coke, Greg. All right, then he's going to go, and he's going to grab Josh, he might get Tim. He might get James. And then you're all going to come to me and say, listen, I saw Todd punch me. You know, I'm one of this. And what, that, that's what you're going to do. Because we want to make sure, what are the facts? Well, we've come to him. We've told him he should repent, right? Here was his response. Because isn't it cool? Because we know human nature. We lie. We lie, don't we? We panic and lie. All right. So that by the testimony to the witness, every fact be established. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. Now, that is where it becomes more public. 
But now, what, ha- what had to happen before it got here? He had to have been approached twice by up to four different people and asked, brother, stop. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting people. You've got to repent. Sister. And he, still, he says no. And some of you go, nobody does that. Yes, they do. We've had it happen at this church. <clears throat> I had someone look me in my face and say, I know Jesus says that to do that. And I'm not going to do it. People, people are people, okay? If he doesn't pay attention to them, right, t- take it to the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Now, this is hard teaching. Gentile means an unbeliever. You're like, okay, but we, I've heard people go, but we preach to unbelievers. A tax collector is a traitor. A tax collector is the worst traitor in the world. That's not only somebody who comes in your house, right, and is mean to your family. It's somebody that comes in your house, cuts the cords to all your power, um, you know, pour salt in your, or sugar in your, your car, uh, you know, whatever else you think of. Tries to actively destroy you. He betrayed you. That's all it says, right? Which means what? You going to spend time with those people? No. And he says, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two uh, of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray on, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. That's a verse taken out of context a lot. That's not about prayer, you understand? Exactly. It's not. What's the context? The context is this kind of church discipline. God's saying, right? Well, we'll go on. Well, done for you in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. So what he's saying is, right, I'm going to believe you if you follow these steps because I'm with you. So I, like, that's going to take care of it. Who's he talking to? Guys, this was meant for the local church. The local church handles its own discipline. What if they do it wrong? You don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. It either exists or it doesn't. Do you understand? Let that sink in. It is not your job or mine to judge how another church handles the sin in their church. You can, I can go up to a guy, and I've done this. I've told a pastor, you need to rebuke your board. He asked me because they're sinning, right? But at the end of the day, it's between him and them what he does. I don't know them, so he handles it. They handle it. The elders, well, the way God set it up, we don't like that because what if they're lying? That's what we think. It's not your job to figure that out. So he's saying, I'm with you in this process, and that's why he says whatever's bound or loosed, right? Whatever decision you come to, right, I give you that authority. I give my church that authority to do that, right, as they follow my name. So let's explain the process, right? I just told you, sin, go this. What's before the church? It's exactly what it means. In our case, it would be before the members. I'm not going to pull them up here in public. I don't, you know, not everyone in this room is a believer. But when we have our, right, church meeting, we're going we're gonna to talk, if that comes to it, the members will sit. We'll pull them up. Well, here's what tends to happen. They ain't going to show up, which means they've taken it on themselves, right? They're already, and that's happened. John MacArthur is a man I respect. He don't like me. I say this. Darn it. I already shared who I thought the one guy was, right? I don't think he'd like me. Very respectable in theology. He said in 40 years, I looked it up, right? 40 or 50, it was 50 years. 50 years of ministry. He can count on his hand how many churches actually follow this that he's met. One, right, the two extremes. You don't want to deal with sin at all, and that's what we're afraid of. That's one of the tribes. Hey, man, that's not our place. And then the other tribe says, they skip right there to the end, cast them out. Unbeliever. They don't actually follow the process. Okay? In this situation, in this process, do you see a penance or punishment plan? We don't like that. So it sounds okay when it's drunkenness, it's addiction. Sometimes. What if it's stealing from the church? What if it's adultery? I say those because those are the ones that get us going. 
He doesn't put a qualifier on here. Does that mean those sins aren't serious? Does that mean there aren't consequences? Does that mean, but here's the thing we got to remember. Sin in of itself, depending on the, the severity of the sin, right? It's a punishment in and of itself. On top of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There is no penance or punishment. The goal is what? If he says you've won your brother each place, it's restoration. We want him to come home. Now remember the context of earlier. We want the sheep to come back home. That's what our goal is. Our goal is not to, this is so important, and I feel like it's a subtle difference, and I'm not sure you guys are hearing me. It's a subtle difference between, right, I want to get the sin out of my church versus I need to get the sinner out of my church. You understand that? There is a difference between that. The goal is to keep the person. That is what God wants. Not only do we see that here, we see it in the way he treats Peter, right? By the way, Peter messed up again after he was the great rock of the church and preached at Pentecost. How do we know? Because Paul had to go challenge him. And that gospel he was living was false, Peter, in that moment. Because he's telling, he's living, hey, don't have to follow the Old Testament laws. But secret, when I'm with my Jewish friends, I will. Paul had to challenge him. Okay, this process, the goal is to bring home, this process was left to the individual local church, not random people that are not involved in the situation. I hope you hear that. So I'm going to go back to, I put in, put in quotations here, sweeping it under the rug. My issue with this guy and his post, even though I also think it's passive aggressive and cowardly, my other issue is, is that he's making a judgment on people by saying they're sweeping a sin under the rug, and unless he's a member of that church, he has no clue. And even if he thought they were, what's he called to do? If he thought the elders, he's supposed to go to that guy. So instead, I will join the chorus of Pharisees, even if he's not one, saying, let's stone them. They're bad because they didn't handle it the way that I want them to handle it, even though I don't actually know how they handled it. You get what I'm saying? I need something here, church, or I'm going to go walk home. Thank you. I need to know you're listening. Man, we got to start getting some southern stuff in here, right? You can talk. Someone said on Real Talk, I feel like I can't say anything. I'm okay with that. Just while I'm talking, right? Don't scream over that. If you want to say you're listening, nod, clap a hand, nod at me, Jesus, say amen, go for it, all right? So who are we to judge how a church handles their discipline? I'll get to that in a second. We'll get to this. Now, God will eventually handle it regardless. It's gossip and it's slander to assume and make judgments on the hearts of people we don't know and situations in which we don't have all the facts. You understand? Two different people can be involved in the same sin, have a completely different response, but we want to treat them the same. Okay, perfect example, Judas and Peter. If you believe that Peter didn't betray Jesus, and you, you're crazy, right? Judas went back and said he was sorry, took the money back, left it there. But which one, right, is the man of perdition? Which one is the man of sin, right? And which one is the rock of the church? It's all about how they, they approach it, the authority they take, right? What they believe, Matthew 18, 21 and 22, right after this, good old Peter. Love that guy. He's honest, at least. Then Peter approached him and asked, like what you guys would ask. You're going to say you don't, but you do. Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now, by the way, they weren't carrying calculators or iPhones, right? So that number was a big number to them. So some of you all probably want to just write a little, you know, you're going to have a tally mark. And then start checking off. That's not how it works. The point is, is that there's no end to it. Is this how we handle someone who's maybe in a pattern of sin, right? Is this how we as a church handle it? If they're in a pattern of sin? 
Do you trust God enough to walk with an addict? Because if you think an addict, then it can happen. Sometimes God will miraculously free them, but you know sometimes it doesn't happen that way. Jesus healed some guys that were blind by just, and other times he had to spit and put mud on their face, right? We don't know how it's going to work. He has, he's a good end for him. So let me ask this. What if someone's an alcoholic, if someone repents of getting drunk, and then a couple months later they slip again and tell you? You might forgive them. What about the next month? What about the next month? What about a year from now? How many times are you willing to believe them? Because I get this question all the time. Well, if they keep saying and keep doing it, they don't mean it. You're silly. How many times do you mean you're truly sorry for something you did and you find yourself doing it again? None? Y'all, you're better, you're better than the Apostle Paul. Thank you. I do. There, listen, this is important. There is no end to the forgiveness that a follower of Jesus Christ will offer a repentant sinner. I'll say it again. There is no end. There is no end. Okay? Now, stay with me. Somebody walks in here, slaps Greg again, all right? And I say, I'm sorry, and I come in every day and I slap him. Well, first off, he'll throw me through a wall. But before that, right, eventually, because we love Greg, we're going to be like, we're going to confront his sin, right? And we're going to say repentance means something. It doesn't mean I say I'm sorry and keep doing it. You have to do something different. So it would be different if this guy who's an alcoholic says I repent of being drunk. I'm just using it because I use adultery all the time and everybody gets tired of that, right? Okay? That doesn't mean alcohol in itself is sin. Drunkenness is a sin. But it doesn't matter. And this isn't to condemn anyone. So someone, right, does that, and then you see them that night at the bar. Two minutes later at the bar. There has to be a change. You understand what I mean? Has to be different patterns. That's repentance. It means literally turn away from. So we're going to move on. i got to move. Guys, are you okay with me? I'm going late today, but I have to do it. Otherwise, I'll stop. All right, thank you. All right, I'm going to give you. <laughs> uh, that's my own fault. So give a context. Oh, that's my own notes. I'm reading my notes to you. Give context. Uh, listen, next Jesus, fairly soon after this, same section, talks, gives this parable, and he tells this story of a guy who owed someone a billion dollars. All right, he owed the king a billion dollars for our purposes. The king forgives him of it, throws him in jail. He's like, please don't, I'll pay you back. He forgives him, lets him go. The guy walks out happy, sees his buddy who owes him $1,000. He grabs his buddy, throws him in a squall, chokes him, slaps him, kicks him, and then has the tax jail come and take him to jail right? and say, I want all of his stuff, and he needs to stand there until he pays me back. All of a sudden, the people see this. The servants see what happened here, and they go tell the king, and this we're going to pick up on verse 32. Then after he had summoned him, him being, in this case, the guy who threw his buddy in jail, the master said to him, you wicked servant. Oof. I, forgive you. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything, until he could pay everything that was owed. Man, Jesus drops his hammer right now. Listen to this. This is not an analogy. Now, this next part. So my, also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. What's he going to do? He's going to throw you in jail and torture you. Well, Todd, I don't understand this. Let's all put it together. Someone who doesn't offer forgiveness, right? Someone who doesn't love. What do we already know? We read it in 1 John. God is not with them. God is not in them. Right? Someone, and again, it doesn't mean if you've struggled with it at times. We're talking about people, you know them. They live in that. That's what he's saying here, and we got to face that. That two things so far we've seen, your love and the way your love plays out is the way you offer forgiveness. Why? Because a true believer is so aware of their own sinful nature and what they've done that there is no way they can look down in judgment on someone else and say they've gone too far. 
You understand me? If you are aware of what you are, which is a sinner that deserves hell and only by the grace of God through Jesus Christ are you saved. If you understand that you are bad without him, you will never judge another person and say that they're too bad. You can't. The times that we do that are the times we start to slowly set ourselves on the throne. You are not sitting with Jesus in judgment. So, all right, that's pretty crazy. Now I want to show you something else. So I just want to talk about forgiveness, right? And again, we're talking about tribes and church, culture. We get to see this played out. It's not just in Matthew. We see the Apostle Paul talk about the exact situation in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Listen to this. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, the church, and the kind of sexual immorality that's not even tolerated among the Gentiles. That means unbelievers. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Now, we tend to think, well, it's his stepmom and he died. What if he wasn't? I mean, either one's not good, right? But what if, what if it wasn't? <clears throat> and you are arrogant. Shouldn't you be filled with grief and remove from your congregation the one who did this? Even though I am absent in the body, I am present in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already pronounced judgment, right, because I'm with you. I can't talk about Jah, as on the one who has been doing such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus, two or three are gathered in my name, hand that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That's important. So the situation, you already know, he hears that some shady's going on, okay? And before you guys go, well, I don't know how bad that is. That is bad because it's not, you got to understand, it's not like they heard it. Everybody knows it. He's just walking around with his stepmom. Like, hey, you see my woman? Maybe his dad's sitting back in the corner and like, you know, it doesn't matter. It's happening. So it's clear. What do we know? Well, remember, Paul's going to follow Jesus. So it's clear that the process of Matthew 18 had already been followed, but that the man did not repent and the church had allowed him to just continue on like nothing happened which is the one extreme. The one tribe does that, right? Well, we want to keep him here and love him, and if we love him, then we got to accept his sin. There's not these extremes. It's very simple. So it already been followed, and they had allowed him to continue on like nothing happened. So they just let him walk in that sin openly and with seemingly, based on this, no interest in repentance. There was no desire to change. It doesn't say that, like, you know, he continued to have a relationship or he's having trouble breaking. It says, what does he say? Uh, a man is sleeping with his father's wife. Persist. Oh, I can't wait. You, I'm almost there, guys. It's gotta, this is important. So, Paul said that the man must be treated like an unbeliever. That's what Jesus said, right? Cast out of the congregation. It's so important. This is, this is what it took to get there. It's so important to remember why, though. Why does Paul say that? He sounds really angry, but that last sentence tells us the goal. He says it's important to remember why. Not for punishment, but what? Quote, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. If this man wasn't saved, which apparently he has no conviction, right? By the looks of it, he's not saved, which he wasn't displaying the characteristics of a Christian in his unwillingness to try to change this sinful situation, then they could not continue to let him believe he was saved. You understand? I can't continue to let you believe. He, he might have thought he was saved. The best thing in the world to do is hand him out there so he recognizes the depth of his sin and can truly come to the Lord, not knowing who he is, right, but truly coming to accept Jesus as Lord. The motivation was love for the good of the man. We don't want this man's eternity, right, to be damned. Do you see that? Am I wrong, or do you read that? You with me? Trent, you with me? You look angry, Trent. Give me something. Fake smile. I'll take it. We actually, now listen, this is what's cool. This doesn't happen a lot, Emma. You look angry too. We actually may have been told what happens to this man in this situation. We get an update. 
Now, I'm going to tell you two options because some people say, I'm about to read something to you. It sounds to me like the same situation, but some people say it's about a false teacher. Either way, either way, it doesn't really matter. We see what happens here because I kind of like if it is false teacher because it brings us back to a pastor or someone, right? Context. But a lot of people, and I tend to be the one who believe Paul's talking about the same situation. In 2 Corinthians, he sends another letter to the church in Corinth. Starting <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. I hope I got that one right for you. Is that right? Yep. If any, I was blaming me, Zeke, not you. If anyone has caused pain, he has caused pain not so much to me, to, but, but to some degree, not to exaggerate, to all of you. Hmm. The punishment by the, by the majority is sufficient for that per- person. As a result, you should instead forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overwhelmed by excessive grief. Therefore, I urge you this is so, to reaffirm your love to him. I wrote for this purpose to test your character to see if you're obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I do too. For what I have forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, it's for the benefit of the presence of Christ. Ooh, that's powerful. There's an acknowledgement that it could be hard to forgive, isn't it? I forgive it not even because I necessarily want to, but because Christ, for the good of Christ, so that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan. So what happens if we don't offer forgiveness? Because what does he say if we're not ignorant of his schemes? Guys, let me tell you what. His schemes over the 2,000 years, it's shown in the church today. I think it's worked. That's why there's war. That's why there's tribes. That's why there's unforgiveness. Paul warned us of this. That's what tears churches apart. So let's think about what it says here. You should instead forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, what? He may be overwhelmed by excessive grief. It could overwhelm him with grief, Paul says. There must be repentance. And they, now, now they've went the other way. We don't want to let him back. He's a sinner. Paul's like, good golly. It's over. Bring him home. And not only that, reaffirm your love. It could, it, because otherwise it could overwhelm him with grief, with loneliness, depression, with hopelessness. He repented, so he got to come home. And not only this, but they were told to comfort him. Comfort the sinner, the guy who did the bad thing? Why am I telling you this? Because I'm showing you that it's throughout the Bible is the same message. This is what, how we deal with sin, and this is what we do when someone repents. You get what I'm saying? Do you see the picture I'm painting? Yay, nay, uh-huh, amen, something? That's why they ask for that. Can I get an amen? No? One, thank you, Juju. Greg, where you at, man? Don't do it. There it is. That's my fault. All right, good job. What about, now, now I'm going to, I got to finish up here, but this is very important because we separate Christians and, and, uh, and, and Christian leaders. It's not in defense of me, but I think it's important because we damage churches this way too. Listen to this. What about pastors that sin? What about church leaders that sin? Are they cast out? Do they have a special clause that means their situation is sort of different than what Jesus describes in Matthew 18? Immediately, some of you are going to go, yes, they do. And you're going to think of two sections in Scripture that are your proof that it's different. I'm going to show you that when we read it, you might be going, oh, my goodness. I had this slightly wrong. All right? 1 Timothy chapter 5, starting at verse 17. All right? We're going to go through 20. Elders, for our purposes, call that pastors. Okay? That's their leaders. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. It's an aside. I'm waiting for my dog. I'm just kidding. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Now listen to this. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Well, what about my friend Joni who said Pastor Todd is uh, a cult leader? I don't know, right? Or that he punched someone, but she, I trust Joni. Hmm, that's Joni, that's one, okay? 
Now, here's what it says. As for those, and this is so crucial because some of your versions don't have this, and I'm going to tell you why historically this is an issue and explain to you that your version, my favorite version, this is ESV. My, uh, the version I tend to preach out of the CSB, and it actually words this differently, but the, it's because the CSB assumes we're going to come to it reading all of Scripture. But the ESV makes it very clear. Listen to this. As for those elders and pastors who persist in sin, Rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Your Bible may say, for those who sin. No. The oldest copies that we have, the oldest copies, most of the time the New King James Version is what said that, right? The translation, the oldest copies of Scripture that we have, this is how it's said. And what people think is, if you continue to read, that it was that some, some sections, early people like New King, King James, it's, it doesn't even make a huge difference, but it is an important word here that that might have been mistranslated because you'll see the same comment later on, okay? It's a long story. But my point is that's very important. ESV, the ones that are considered very literal translations, this is how they're translated. As for those who persist in sin, guess what? Does that not coincide with Matthew 18? Right? Because they are persisting in sin. They're not repenting. Yes, that's the only special clause. If they don't repent, they have to be rebuked publicly. You have to tell the church. That makes sense, right? Because otherwise going to go, where's our pastor? <laughs> He's gone. Imagine that. Nobody tells you why. You deserve that reason, right? If he doesn't repent, he's brought it on himself that you deserve to know why he's gone. What if he does repent? And this is, I'm telling you right now, I already know. I can see him out there. Pastor McArthur, he's coming at me probably right now. But I'm telling you, it's in there. It's in there, right? Am I wrong? You guys see it in here? And it's okay if you feel different. I, remember what I told you. I can't make you believe this, but I'm going to show you the evidence. Type in Bible Hub this exact verse. It'll give you all the versions. See how many versions say persist or continue in sinning versus the ones that don't. There's three that don't. The rest of the 15 do. That's powerful and important. Go look it up. Don't believe me? I like you. Y'all mistrusting. Me too. Go look it up. This blew my mind. Because I didn't understand. I used to not understand. Persist in sinning. So, a couple things. Leaders are to be given honor. Why? Because it's hard. Don't even talk about a charge against a leader except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Hmm. Matthew 18. There we are again. You're not even going to bring it to the church unless you've already had two or three witnesses go to him. It follows it. Do you see it? How cool is that? No one? That's incredible. It all connects. No? Yes. That's incredible. This side of the room's in. You're asleep. All right? Awake asleep you always wonder why does he talk to them because they're paying attention i look over here and you're going not all of you people in the back you pay attention the front people are like i don't know tangy i'm just kidding she's fine she's fine jess i was playing with her um so don't even i love how it all connects why because otherwise people could just lie or make up things whenever they're upset by a leader like people are going to be upset by what you preach sometimes right so if they can just run around and willy-nilly say something <laughs> or this has happened, someone, what if someone goes through Matthew 18, is told to leave the church, and then decides to trash the pastor, which has happened? Because, listen, no matter what you all do, they're going to blame me. That's reality. Anything this church does is Todd's fault. You're always good people, right? Anyway, you are good people, but that's the point. So, and it's not just me, it's anyone else. And this has hit me with the way I view mega pastors that fall, right? And I remember being struck by Hillsong's pastor, Carl Lentz, go look at it. I'm not saying, I don't know where the guy's at. He may be a false teacher, I don't know. But time will tell. 
And I actually like the way, no matter what you think of Hillsong, and I'm not putting my stamp of approval on them, the way they handled that where they didn't tell everybody the business and how they handled it, why is that a problem? Well, they were public and they were famous, so what? They don't, they don't have to tell people how they handled that. They don't owe the world or us an answer on how they handled that sin. And they did. He is gone. I wonder how many people check on Carl Lentz. I don't know. Why? Because, and again, he could be out there doing some evil. I don't know. I haven't kept up on him. But my point is, that's not what we should assume. All right, I got to move. I'm, this is the longest sermon I ever preached. I only got 30 more minutes. Just kidding. So it's important to know, as for those who persist in sin, the, the, <clears throat> so leaders are not outside the process of Matthew 18. They're given a chance to repent too. Okay? Yeah, that, that's what it says here. So, I'm going to give you the other verse you think of. People often point to a section in Titus as their proof that a leader or pastor who sins must immediately be called out publicly. Let's see if the context you decide is what that really says. If what it actually says points to our to this conclusion. Make sense? I jumbled that up, but you get the point. Let's see if this points to that. So, Titus chapter 1 verses 10 through 14. I give you a little context. Go read the whole thing. Paul starts talking about this group that's within them that is tr- Jewish, that are trying to get the believers and telling them that they need to, if they accept Christ, have to follow the Jewish laws. That's the context of this entire chapter. If you don't believe me, go read it. I'm not reading the whole thing. That's the context, and we're going to pick up here. The context is they're changing the gospel, okay, to, to a false gospel. In this case, Jewish that they need to go back to the Jewish laws, which they are free from, right? We know that. <clears throat> so... Verse 10 says, for there are many rebellious people who are rebellious. It's not just, <laughs> I, there are a lot of pastors, and I, I mean, how do I say this in not mean way? Um, they need to read a book, right? Everybody put their head down. That was not the best way to say it. Well, that's what they need to do. You need to read and understand or like take a, I don't know, I'm not a, a class or something because it's very obvious when you read the section. For there are many rebellious people. He's talking about these people, these leaders that are coming in, and they're taking advantage of people for money too. It says that too, right? Taking advantage of people with money. There are these, these, these people trying to get them to follow the Jewish laws. I wonder if it had to do with tithing and all that kind of stuff. Who knows, right? And you have to follow these laws. You also got to give me a certain cut because I'm in the, the, who knows? Because I'm the priest. There are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. My proof, right? That's the context. Now, there's other ones. He's talking about people that take money from, from widows, etc. So here he goes. It is necessary to silence them. That's important. It's necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. One of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason. What's the reason? Because they are ruining households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. They're preaching and they're teaching a false gospel For this reason, rebuke them sharply so that they may be kicked out. It doesn't say that. So they may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths, context, and command and the commands of people who reject the truth. So makes sense, right? If I'm up here preaching a false gospel, right, part of my repentance would probably be standing up here and having and and admitting that that was a false gospel. I need to do that, right? False gospel. We talked about that before. There is there are things that say you're not a part of this tribe. It hinges on Jesus Christ and who he is. The bottom line is here is he's saying, yeah, you have to bring a leader that's unrepentant of false teaching, and you got to rebuke them and call them out in front of people at the, in the church because it's affecting all, every, everyone, right? You get that? Yes or no? No? Yes? 
I know it's a long one. So, what's that? Good, I'll work. So, it, the context here involves a very specific situation. You see how I'm talking really fast to get you out of here? Involving leaders preaching a false gospel. Not a leader who said a curse word. Not a leader who got angry. But Todd, it says that overseers are not prone to anger. Listen, ain't nobody in the world fit all those. If you know men, and I, I'm a man, I know them, there are men that pursue those traits and men that don't. That's the ones. Do you pursue those traits of being an overseer? Do you live your life in such a way that you pursue it and when you fail, you get back and pursue it again? A lot of guys don't. And if you want to be a leader of church, you have to be one that does that. Not perfection. You have to pursue that. Go read the list. I'm not going to read it. So in this case, it's involving leaders preaching a false gospel. In this case, preaching that believers must follow the Old Testament Jewish laws. Remember, especially those from the circumcision party. They had to be called out publicly because of the nature of their sin. They had to be challenged and corrected on their false teaching in front of the church, both for the church leaders themselves to have sound doctrine, right? They need to know the truth, but also, um, but also for the church and for the leader to come to a knowledge of the true gospel. Because if that leader is believing that, he isn't saved either. So I'm going to give you a list. I know you like them. Number one, how do we handle the bad people? I got a lot of R words for you. I like to try to keep some alliteration or something. It helps you remember. Number one, remember who we all are without Christ. We're all bad people without Jesus. That'll help you. Okay? We're all bad people. Now, listen. <laughs> Sin has consequences. I'm not saying that we can't hate what people do. And they're evil people in this world. Okay? We're talking about in the church. Remember who we all are without Christ. Number two, reach out and love. What kind of love? Agape. Are you loving like that? Guys, if we're going to change it, are you loving like that? Maybe we'll put this out. We've been putting these out, so if you don't get a chance to copy it, it'll be on our social media. Respond biblically. Not respond how Pastor Famous Guy says on TV. Respond what the Bible says. And don't even respond about how local church guy says, who, who makes himself feel like he's not a cult by calling other people cults. I would beg to differ, good sir. I know your beliefs. I just don't say it. I want to so, so bad. But that would be war, and that's wrong. All right. Respond biblically, guys. It's right here, even when it's hard. Number four, recognize repentance. Let God be God. If someone repents, accept it at their word. If they show change, accept that change and walk with them. God and the Holy Spirit is going to reveal it, right? And by the way, some people are going to trick us all the way to the end. You aren't going to find all the goats. Jesus says that. He says, there are going to be some goats among you, and I will separate them. He has multiple, multiple analogies about that. Goats being not like the sheep. Remember, we're sheep. Number uh, five, reconcile the repentant. When a person repents, bring them home. Bring them home. Go out of your way to say, I love you. Sometimes I can tell you this. I walked around town, and I felt like every person I met saw my sin. You ever felt that way? Anybody? Raise your hand if you ever felt that way. You mess up, and you walk around town, and it's like everybody sees your sin, and that hurts, doesn't it? There are those, remember I told you there are two, I'm about to cry again, man. It's so messed me up. Two or three people that just checked on me and said, I love you. I gave them a lot of crap. Andy was one of them. I just found an email, weirdly enough, right? Sent me stuff. He didn't have to do that. Because it wasn't popular for him to do that. I promise you that. Reconcile the repentance. Something in him saw that I was repentant. I don't know what it was. You'd have to ask him. But I was. And he tried to reconcile and give me hope. Right? We didn't even go to the same church. 
Six, bring them home. By the way, go back to, I'm sorry, number five. Give them comfort. Remember what Paul said. Reaffirm your love and comfort them. Number six, recognize the world's influence. Remember what I said earlier. We tend to view things like a courtroom does, right? If I confess my sin, I get less of a punishment than if I'm caught, right? If someone comes in and pleads guilty, they get a lighter punishment. We've let that infect the church. It doesn't matter. We got to see how the world influences us. What does the media tell you how to handle a church situation? It's hard because they're going to tell you all the bad things that person does in really bright, bright letters. We have to trust God and pray for that person. And if you meet them on the street, ask them how they're doing and hope to God they come to, knowing, to know him. And don't assume they haven't. Why do you automatically assume they haven't? Okay? And number seven, this is what this is all about. And I challenge you, church, friends, realign church culture. We got to change it. The stuff I said today, I'm going to ask you an honest question. If you put it all together, is that how we practice culture in our church? with sinners, yes or no? If you think it is, if you you don't think it is, raise your hand, right? So four people. So the rest of you think that we do? The rest of you think we do this? I tricked you. Yeah, my point is, of course you don't. Do you think that we, I shouldn't say of course you don't, do you think that that, that we give people this kind of grace? Do we love people this way? Is that, I mean, popular, you may, but overall church culture, is that what we're known as in America? No. So if we're going to change it, we have to realign our church culture, which comes by recognizing the place where the world's infected us and pulling away even if the rest of churches don't. Are you willing in this room to speak up in this town when you hear someone say something that isn't biblical? What about your mom, dad, grandpa, grandma? What about your friend at the other church? What about your pastor even? Not in a aggressive way. What if you go up to them and say, what about this? Will you speak up or will you continue to say, as long as I'm not getting stoned or shot, I'll let it happen? Well, he, amen, because you got to do it. And some of you go, well, I'm just not like that. Then, then we have to continue to, to accept who's steering the boat. This town, okay, and this thing going to be, this town is full of this. I don't care. I make people mad. This community's full of this, not just the world. See, sometimes we think this community, Whitley County, is filled with this. I know. We're going to keep letting them do it? Are we going to stand up? Because Jesus is only behind one way. You get what I'm saying? One culture. She's going to come play some music briefly. If you're one of those people today that wants to respond, you got to respond quick because we can't do this for because <laughs> the old pastor took too long. I want to ask you a couple questions to think about. And if this is your first time, I promise, most of the time I don't go this long. One, do we make decisions on who the good people in church are and who the bad people are? Do you decide which Christians are based on what they do? Who decides that for you? Who decides who's good and bad? Does Jesus in his way? Because his way will tell us, right? His way actually, you see what I mean? The beauty is he'll get the bad people out. Most of them. Some of them will hide, but like if we follow that path, right? We got to be courageous. Who decides that? Culture or scripture? Do you have a heart for forgiveness and love and repentance and restoration? Or do you think in terms of punishment and penance? Restoration paths, right? Which are really just fancy words for it, jump through these hoops and I'll let you come home. Have you been hurt by church people, maybe on the other side, calling you one of the bad guys because you sinned? Maybe it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, maybe it was last week and you hurt and you think we're all like that. We're not. And I'm right there with you, brother, sister. They did it to me and I'm sorry. And so you stand quiet because you're like, I just can't handle any more stones. So I know it's wrong, but I don't want to speak up. You have to because we got to protect the next person. 
there are really, there are Christian people who fail, and they, and certainly God cares about holiness in his church, but what if they repent? Are you going to let them, being them, being that world and that culture, tell you what the truth is, or are you going to let God? Will, are you willing in this room today, remnant people even, who say you're chosen by grace, are you willing to repent of your heart, your hard heart? Are you willing to repent of the line you've created in your head that says they're with Christ or not, not based on whether they know Jesus, but based on whether they've done X, Y, or Z? We have to repent and realign our hearts with God. That starts with us individually. You know right now in your heart there's some called conviction if that's you. I love you. I know you're good people, but if that's you and you got that spot, repent. And if you're not willing to repent, then you got a hard heart. That's a whole different issue. If you've been hurt, take this time and let God minister to you. Be comforted. Heck, come up here and pray with these people and say, I'm so hurt and I'm so tired of people hunting me and telling me that I am my sin. Let somebody comfort you today and tell you the truth. Don't sit in your chair. Well, I don't know them. Hey, I promise you these are good people, and if they're not, come and tell me after, all right? I'll pray with you. I'll be up here too. I want even you, some of you new people, I know you've been hurt. You deserve to be told the truth, and you've been hiding because you think the truth is what they told you. The truth is that God loves you, right? That he's never let go of you, that he forgives you in Christ, and that he's restored you. And even if they yell loudly, no, they haven't. Remember, they crucified our king. Whatever you do today, don't leave the same as you came in. For real. Let that mean something today. Oh, I got to get to lunch. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, does it matter? Does it matter more than the culture we want to change, than our hearts? And if you don't know the gospel, you've probably been told that it's about being good enough. You can't be. I've sinned more than I can even tell you. From a worldly perspective, when I look back in my own heart, I feel like I sinned worse as a Christian than I did before. Here's the beauty. God created everything. We've sinned. We mess up. And because of that, we're separated from God. That's the truth. And we sometimes let the world tell us that, you know, make us hate Jesus because the way we treat us. But here's the beauty. Jesus hasn't turned his back on you. Even though you're away from him, even though you're condemned because of your own choice, even though you're choosing hell over him right now, today he's offering the opportunity to be in relationship with him, to be forgiven, to be a part of his church forever, to be restored, to be healed to have all of your past deeds nailed to that cross. That's what it is. Jesus invaded this earth. He told us what truth is. He called us to repent of our sins, to turn away from our ways, to turn to his. And then he did something incredible. He bridged the gap between us and God. He gave us a way to be forgiven and to be made whole and to know love and to have our shame and our fear washed away, sin washed away, past, present, and even the future. Because he said himself, nobody will take from my hand the ones, right, that are mine. So how do we do that? Jesus Christ died on the cross. That's a fact. He rose three days later. 500 witnesses attested this. He conquered death so you don't have to face hell either. You can have eternal life today. If you died on the way out here, Lord forbid, and you can't say with 100% certainty that when you go before God, and you will, your belief doesn't dictate reality. If you can't say beyond a shadow of a doubt when you stand before him that he will look at you and say, welcome home. Don't leave today. Because today, that little voice, not the loud one that's telling you I'm stupid and this is all dumb, the little voice that's saying, it's real, I love you, come home. Listen to that today. Whatever you do, don't leave the same as you came in. Because if you do, you're choosing to. There's people up here willing to pray with you. Take this opportunity to know Jesus.